When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the scene where we were in the couch, um, busting out of the couch in <laughs> yes. Celeste's office, you know, I have to kick it open. And I, a professional actor, uh, made a sound with my mouth, like, <laughs> like as if we don't have a team of sound people to do that for us in post. And they yelled cut and Jake was like, did you just make a sound with your mouth <laughs> for a sound effect? I was like, shut up, Jake, I'm having so much fun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and back with me again this week is EW critic Kristen Baldwin. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fantastic here. There's so much... um, so much to watch, so much good stuff. I'm enjoying TV. I'm enjoying movies. It's it's what a what a time to be in pop culture while we have writers out on the street striking. Yeah, it's uh, it is a it is quite a time. You know, it's interesting to to see those picket lines. Though, you know, I certainly understand all the concerns that they are uh, voicing, uh, as is their right. So, uh, for now though, we have plenty to watch. Who knows? Yes. The fall schedules have been announced and they're mostly reality. Yep. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. I think the streamers are going to carry us through on the scripted programming because of course they've shot so much stuff. Um, but, but still some streaming shows have been, um, interrupted as well. Uh, hacks we know for sure. And, and some others. So, um, Hopefully this all gets resolved very soon and and writers get certainly what they deserve. Uh, and then, of course, you know, DGA and, and SAG uh, contracts are, are following. Uh, you know, those are coming up right behind. So um, interesting summer indeed for what a, for what a fun, sexy time it is. It is. To it be is. In the well, entertainment business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, this week, uh, on this week's episode, she is a three-time Emmy nominee for all three seasons of the criminally canceled Too Soon Glow, where she played Debbie Liberty Bell Egan. You may also know her from any number of other projects, maybe Masters of Sex or Nurse Jackie, which, by the way, Showtime is reportedly hoping to reboot. And now she's starring in the Peacock genre-twisting series Mrs. Davis from, from co-creators Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof. I'm, of course, talking about the fantastic Betty Gilpin. Huge round of applause. You can hear people standing and cheering. We here at EW are big Betty stands. Uh, Kristen, yes. um, in your review of the series around the time of its debut in April, you said, I want to quote here, Mrs. Davis is better <laughs> experienced than explained. Well, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, uh, for those who've not seen it yet, to explain it. <laughs> Sure. So Betty Gilpin plays uh, Sister Simone. She's a nun in uh, Reno, and she's just living her nice, quiet life. Uh, she is one of few people on the planet who does not uh, sort of subscribe to this AI program called Mrs. Davis. And it's kind of like, imagine if Siri could just talk to you all day via an earpiece and just carry on a conversation, answer any question you ever had. Everybody uses it. Everyone has this thing in their ear. They're all constantly talking to Mrs. Davis, but Simone is not on board with this. Long story short, she is enlisted into a quest to find the Holy Grail, which she agrees to because she believes uh, it will bring about the destruction of Mrs. Davis, this AI. And what it's so, it sounds crazy. And you're like, if you're already like zoning out, just know that it's really actually a really funny 
and very sort of emotional and moving story about like mothers and daughters, about family, about faith, about Buffalo Wild Wings. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's just a lot yeah. uh, going on and she is incredible in it. And I really, really am hoping that uh, it gets enough momentum before uh, Emmy nominations that she and the series and, you know, plenty and the actors as well in the cast, you know, uh, including Jake McDornan, uh, mm-hmm. could maybe get some love. Yeah. Well, so uh, one thing I want to say first, I thought it's really important that uh, what you said there, this is not necessarily, it's not like, uh, it's not a sci-fi series. It's not like it no. uses that as a jumping off point to tell yes. all these other uh, great things. Um, of course, there is AI in there and AI is, is um, we're hearing a lot about it nowadays. So it is um, very timely. Um but I, I also want to um, quote uh, your review here, part of that where you said of Betty, uh, Gilpin, a seamless comedic actress with vast emotional range, is exceptional. Whether Simone is sniping at Wiley, sharing a quiet moment of reflection with Jay, or arguing with an Italian baker over a cake she needs to bring to the Pope, the actress commands our devotion. Um, yes. What specifically is it about her performance uh, that, that you love? And, and re- let's let's get into that more. Why should voters really be paying attention to her here? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we knew that she could do drama and comedy uh, from Glow because that was a story where, you know, she was the desperation of her character. She's divorced, you know, she's out of running out of money is what brings her into the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And so, but it, and, you know, certainly she, she was able to do the physical aspects of that role as well, but here she's not only doing this really uh, sort of antic physical comedy as she is on this quest, you know, and there's, there are moments where she's, you know, sort of rage pantomiming things to, to Wiley as they're trying to communicate during, uh, during the Excala battle, which is like a hands on a hard body contest featuring a giant replica of Excalibur, the sword. Um, but she's also like, she's dealing with a very complicated and painful relationship with her mother played by Elizabeth Marvel and a deeply loving relationship with uh, a mentor, let's say uh, named Jay. I won't spoil it for you. And there's just, she's, she can, there's a moment in there where she's listening to Mrs. Davis and she's, Mrs. Davis is telling her something extremely important. We don't hear what she's saying. We just watch Betty Gilpin's face and the way that she communicates. It's like she performs a monologue through her expressions in this moment. And it's just, it just reminds you this woman can do it all. And she really deserves a W here. Yeah. I mean, she's so fantastic. And by the way, she's uh, an incredibly lovely person. So f- sweet, yeah. And which, funny um, and- which I, I know you you certainly found out uh, and know firsthand um, because our, our interview today with uh, Betty uh, Kristen did that. I, I forgot to mention that earlier, um, so <laughs> you'll hear them in conversation. Um, yeah, okay. I, I want to also ask you this um, because uh, I, I mentioned that um, Damon Lindelof is one of the uh, you know executive producers here. Do you think? Uh, fans of, I mean, two of his other huge shows, Watchmen, Lost, like this is up there, Alley. Absolutely, because not only does it, you know, it it's all those things I said before, but it's also this very sort of complicated um, mystery that they're unraveling as they go along on the quest for the Holy Grail, and there it's genre hopping, and it's there's absurdist humor, much like in Watchmen, which took a very serious subject. Yeah. Um, and, and made it in many ways, both very dramatic, but also very funny and very weird. And so it, and there's just goofiness in it as well as, uh, truly relatable emotions. Plus Christian Montopoulos, I believe I'm saying his name right. He plays uh, a resistance leader who's working with Wiley played by Jake McDormand, um, to, uh, McDormand, sorry, uh, to bring down Mrs. Davis, he he is he gives. I honestly think like the best supporting comedic performance of the year as this Australian, you know, macho uh, resistance leader. It's just it's just filled with. This show has so many different things going for Mm -hmm. it that I really 
hope it doesn't get overlooked. Yeah. Well, there are a couple other uh, shows like that we're going to talk about in just a second. But before we do that, um, let's actually talk more about Betty's uh, category because she is competing in a a very crowded field. Uh, It's actress in a limited or anthology series or TV movie. Uh, All that keeping in mind. At first, the show is in the drama category, and as we told all of you here on last week's episode, uh, it has moved to the limited series race. Um, so let's mm-hmm. talk about who else is is in the mix here. I mean, there's Jessica Chastain for George and Tammy, Ali Wong for Beef, Emily Blunt in The English, Riley Keogh for Daisy Jones and The Six, Dominic Fishback, so great in Swarm, Lizzie Kaplan, Fleshman is in Trouble, Belle Polly for A Small Light, Rachel Vice. Two Rachel Vices in Dead Ringers, Elizabeth Olsen in uh, Love and Death. That's another Katie Montgomery story. Catherine Hahn in Tiny Beautiful Things. Vera Farmiga in Five Days at Memorial. Gosh, there are so many people. Um, yeah. Do you feel like there are any, mm, are we going to say locks in this category? You know, I do think that Rachel uh, Vice, Vice, mm-hmm. Vice. How do we do this? Um, she played twins. Mm-hmm. Voters love it. They love it when you play twins. Yeah. Um, I think Jessica Chastain, even though George and Tammy I found was, you know, very well acted, but just totally sterile. Like there was just not a lot of there there. Mm-hmm. I think people love her. She's a movie star. They'll want. Yeah. And she's already uh, won the SAG award for her work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope that, uh, Al- oh, and Ali Wong. I think Ali Wong is pretty mm-hmm. much uh, close to a luck as well. I don't want to jinx it, but, you know, Beef was such a huge hit. And yeah. she's, you know, she and Steven Yoon are the leads in that and were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I think we'll get to about five nominees out of this category. Um, it's just, there's so many deserving performances. Um, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I say it a lot. I don't envy the, uh, the Emmy voters at all. But of course, you know, as we know, in phase one, uh, when nomination voting takes place, not everyone is seeing the work. They're going down the list and they're checking like, oh, yeah, I heard a lot of people talk about this one. I, you know, maybe I saw snippets of this one, which is why what we're doing Mm -hmm. here talking about these things, you know, is important because, uh, you know, we hope we are certainly reaching people to to bring attention uh, to some of these performances, uh, which is why I'm now going to transition a little to a couple other shows uh, that, that we hope people are paying attention to. Bupkus, Pete Davidson. Um, you know, we know that it's like a semi-autobiographical show and, and everyone knows or they think they know Pete. Um, and, uh, I gotta say, when I started diving into this one, I thought I, I had gave myself time for like one or two episodes. And before I knew it, I was at the end of episode four and I was like, okay, let me stop here. I'm going to pick this up tomorrow. Um, but I am going to pick it up tomorrow and finish it because I loved it. Uh, and I don't know what yeah. I thought I was going to expect of it, but I really, really enjoyed the series and there are some standout work in it. Yeah, I uh, was not sure what to expect. You know, it's sort of other than, oh, okay, it's Pete Davidson doing his version of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And the first episode is is pretty lowbrow and, and uh, almost like intentionally vulgar it's sort of in a way like oh hey if you like pete davidson you must love masturbation jokes but what's interesting then is the second episode is maybe one of the best episodes of television of the year and it's incredibly moving it's this flashback episode to uh september 2001 two weeks after uh the twin towers were attacked and in which you know in that attack pete davidson in real life he lost his dad a firefighter and it's a flashback to uh he and his mom played by edie falco and his little sister going to the wedding of their uncle tommy or you know uh edie's uh brother tommy played by bobby cannavale and you know on the one hand, it's this in the past, it's this story of this little boy who's experienced this tragedy. He's eight years old. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's not quite, you know, clear how to handle it. And he's watching his adults, the adults in his life, including his uncle Tommy, played by Bobby Cannavale, who he kind of idolizes and seeing how they cope. And the way his bo- uncle Tommy copes is, you know, <laughs> being loud, drinking, snorting coke in the bathroom. Uh-huh. Right you in know, front of uh, a little. Right in front of him. Who they all call Peter, by the way. Yes. And then, but then you, you contrast that with the present day scenes where adult Pete is hanging out with uncle Tommy and he starts to see how 
this man that he idolized and was so sort of brash and full of bravado is actually pretty desperately sad, you know, even though he's still putting on that act. And it's, it's incredibly lovely. And like, at the end, they show photos from the actual wedding. And I mean, if you're not bawling by that point, like, I don't even know. I know. know. I, I feel myself just, getting yeah. a little teary eyed as, as I'm thinking back <laughs> about it. Um, but also just because there is this, Oh, incredible moment um, at that wedding where Pete, uh, I don't even remember where they go. They go to a corner store or something um, for for his uncle to get liquor or cigarettes or something. Um, And as they're driving back, Creed is playing on the radio and (laughs) Bobby sings. I think it's the entire first verse in the chorus. And it like you were talking about earlier with Betty at that one scene where she says nothing and it's an entire range of emotions. There's an entire range of emotions that Bobby delivers in that. And, and the camera's just focused on him the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. He's fantastic yeah. in it. It mm. goes from this sort of goofy karaoke moment yeah. to this incredibly revealing. Yeah. Uh, poignant uh admission in a way and and so you know that i definitely would love to see bobby cannavale he'd probably i believe qualify as guest i'm not sure if he's supporting because i don't think he's in enough episodes he might be um but he's incredible and there are really really funny other guest turns and there's a an episode that takes place in miami where it's sort of an homage to fast and furious and simon rex plays this guy named crispy Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) sort of this like hustler not not in a prostitution way but like this you know entrepreneur hustler fast talking promoter guy who takes them on this you know incredible and dangerous uh sort of adventure he's really funny um it, Joe Pesci just, it, is great. Joe Pesci as oh, as the grandpa yeah. is, you know, I mean, he's he's Joe Pesci. He does exactly what you want him to do. Edie Falco as uh, as Pete's devoted mother, who also really loves the fact that he's a celebrity. Yeah. Like when she's in the restaurant and she's yeah. like, "I'm the queen okay. of Long Island." <laughs> Marissa Tomei played me in the movie. <laughs> just incredible. <laughs> uh, she has she has some of those like really funny. You don't. Uh, like they're, they come out of nowhere. Uh, the, yeah. some of these lines with her, um, and they, I, I, there were a couple of knee slappers for me for sure. But, yeah. um, I, I think that series is definitely worth checking out. Um, certainly for Bobby Cannavale, but all the other reasons we said as well. Um, and then one more series we talk about before we, uh, go to a quick break American born Chinese. Yes, I have to tell you, you know, as a, you know, 50 year old white lady, I was like, hmm, a, Coming of age show based on, you know, a classic graphic novel about a, you know, Chinese teenager. Like, am I going to be able to, you know, is this going to speak to me in any way? And in fact, it is incredible. It is this. So it's a, it's based on uh, Jean Luen Yang's uh, graphic novel. And it's about a teenage kid, uh, Jin Wong, played by Ben Wong. And he just wants to be your, uh, you know, he's going into 10th grade. He just wants to fit in. He wants to maybe join the soccer team, whatever. And then um, he's paired up with a Chinese exchange student, or so he thinks, named Wei Chen, played by Jim Liu. And, you know, so just as he's trying to just fit in, quote unquote, as a regular kid, quote unquote, he's paired with the most, you know, like, obviously Chinese student. And what he what he ends up finding out is that Wei Chen is from the heavenly realm. And he's come down to earth to stop an uprising against his father, the monkey king. And so poor Jin, who just wants to be this regular kid ends up having getting drawn into this battle between heaven and earth and these Chinese mythical gods. And it's both a very sweet and funny and and uh, smart coming of age, you know, young adult show, as well as like, there's kick butt, uh, you know, uh, martial arts sequences and fighting Michelle Yeoh uh, plays the goddess of compassion who comes down to help uh, Wei Chen. And she's like in her cute sweatpants and her ponytail, you know, and she loves to like organize and she, even though she's a goddess and up in heaven, she's uh, very beautiful and like regal. Down here, she just loves to like, you know, make furniture from Ikea and help <laughs> Wei Chen set up his, set up his apartment. I mean, look, that and takes special also, powers to put together Ikea yeah. furniture. So 
<laughs> yeah, she does. There is a joke where she's like, I will not be yeah. defeated by Swedish furniture. Um, but and but she also can, you know, when the bull demon comes to steal the iron staff, all things that I had no idea what they were until I, you know, began this, um, uh, she's able to, to kick his butt yeah. in the most graceful way possible. Yeah. So I really, really, it's a rare Disney Plus show that is not, Star Wars or Marvel. Yeah. And I really, really hope that people flock to it because they're releasing it as a binge. And, uh, oh, Ki Kwan, the Oscar winner, is also in it as a, uh, he plays an actor who uh, played a problematic, in today's, uh, today's world, a problematic character named Freddie Wong in a 1990s sitcom. And the the clips of the show start resurfacing and they be, they go viral because it's now on streaming and that's another thing that's sort of making poor Jin's life hard is everybody's sort of laughing at this offensive stereotype character thinking it's hilarious and you know once again he's feeling uh very self-conscious about his chinese uh, nationality. Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, Stephanie Shu is also in this, by the way. Uh, so James Hong. It's like a, you. yeah, it's like a, yeah. an everything everywhere all at once reunion. Uh, well, mm-hmm. not, a, they don't share all their scenes together, but, but you know what I mean? They're all, Still. <laughs> they're all here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the great thing, uh, the really cool thing is that, um, you know, the Monkey King is, is part of, um, like Chinese culture, Chinese lore. Like yes. this is something that kids grow up hearing about. So, mm-hmm. um, so kind of taking that, uh, framework and, and setting it in this kind of, um, fantastical, magical, um, setting in the framework of a coming of age story it's really smart i remember last year at uh, comic-con we got to see a little sneak peek at an event and everyone was just glued to the to the tvs watching the little bit that they were able to show us uh and we all got really excited so i'm glad it's finally here it's really good and i i do hope you know we've talked a little bit i think here on how our you know the contenders so far in this emmy season you know, it's not a super diverse group. Oh, it sure you know, is not this year. And so uh, I really hope that, you know, I think uh, I think the actors in American Born Chinese, there's so many good actors, but I do, I hope that um, Ben Wong is, you know, the young actor who plays Jin. I hope he gets some attention. I mean, certainly people love Michelle Yeoh and Kihei Kwan, um, but there are plenty of, you know, Jim Liu is great as well. So I do hope that there's, a little momentum there. It premieres on May 24th. So um, I hope that yeah. people take notice. All right. That's this week. Well, uh, we have got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to circle back around. It is time for that interview with Betty Gilpin. Don't go anywhere. The awardist will be right back. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to The Awardist. All right, Kristen, it's that time. Your interview with Betty Gilpin. Anything you want to say before we get into that? Just that, you know, a reminder that she's an actress, an author, a three-time Emmy nominee, and she's fantabulous. Mm, She sure is. All right, let's get to it. Here is Betty Gilpin with Kristen Baldwin. Well, hello, actress, author, and three-time Emmy nominee, Betty Gilpin. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. Always three times. I'm like, no, it was only two. Oh, no, one was in the pandemic and I was in my apartment. 
pregnant. Yes. It right. still happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on Mrs. Davis, which it's safe to say is one of, if not the most original shows of the year. Um, yeah. the, the sort of log line is a nun battles a po- an owl powerful AI program, but it's obviously so much more than that. In your initial conversations with creators Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez, how did they explain it to you? How the hell did they explain it to me? Um, I mean, they Damon and I had worked together on The Hunt. Yes. And I knew that his ML was sort of hiding a thesis statement in farce and in in a genre he would invent on his own. And then... He told me I've met someone just as uh, strange and brilliant as I am. He didn't use those words, but sure. basically that's that, that's what I deduced. Um, and that person was Tara Hernandez. And I really just read it. He said, you just have to read it to believe it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think probably from coming from theater, my script reading is – I. I really cheat and just my first read through is always just the dialogue. Um, Cause I want to read it like a play. And then I go back and force myself to read uh, stage directions, which is a terrible way to read scripts. It doesn't make <laughs> sense, but their scripts, um, even the tiniest stage direction, it's so it's like reading um, a Calvin and Hobbes meets Ernest Hemingway, you know, all every tiny little description, it just puts you exactly in this very specific insane world that they've built. Um, And so I just devoured every single syllable of the script. And somehow, even though the world they built is crazy and super original, and you've never seen it before, within two pages, I was like, I totally understand where I am right now. Completely. Let me do this. Please, please, please let me do this job. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's funny watching it too, you know, even just in the beginning, in the first episode, I'm watching it and I, I don't know what's happening, but I also am just like, I am loving whatever this is. Like it's just pulling, I I just, I had faith in the process. (laughs) Yeah, good. (laughs) It's all about faith. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think that they, especially in the first episode where it just keeps turning left and right and up and down. Um, Although I guess that happens in the whole series too. We, we, for the premiere in New York and LA, we showed the first two episodes and I like, I kept saying to myself, Oh wow, we're showing the two most normal episodes. It just gets more insane. Um, but it's still cohesive and so much fun. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so you did some research to play Sister Simone. Uh, you spoke yes. with some real life nuns. Uh, what misconceptions were they most interested in dispelling about them? You know, they didn't seem too bothered by how they were portrayed in media. Like You know, they, it wasn't really on their... The, the, the three women that I talked to, we didn't talk much about, um, you know, uh, uh, dispelling, you know, they weren't putting pressure on me to dispel all the cliches of, of nundum. <laughs> nundum. Um, you know, what I talked to them about was, um, you know, the, the relationship between Simone and Jay uh, in our show is very literal and I see him and touch him and kiss him. And he's my husband. And um, I have proof right before me that this is a real person. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, I, in my research, I hadn't realized it's not a novel device of our show that we created that nuns are brides of Christ. Mm -hmm. Like they are, they do wear wedding rings. They, um, have wedding ceremonies to Jesus. Um, in a lot of uh, certain nuns put on wedding dresses and their father walks them down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not that literal, but uh, they, they, are, they, they are married to Jesus. And I, I didn't really understand that. Um, and, you know, I think part of Simone's journey and the show journey uh, is realizing you know, it's not like I have this 
secret VIP relationship that the other nuns don't have. They have that too. Margot Martindale is also married to Jay. Mm -hmm. She just, her faith is so strong that she doesn't need literal falafel being handed to her or, (laughs) or the safety of being able to see him all the time. You know, she doesn't need proof, you know, right. Simone having Celeste as her mother, (laughs) you know, she still has that in her DNA that she needs proof of something. Um, And, you know, in talking to these nuns, it was just such a, you know, I am not a person of faith in my life, but talking to people who have a, very real relationship with something that they don't have proof of um, was so, it was very beautiful and inspiring. I mean, particularly in a world where we're living with our phones in our hands at all times, providing any answer that we might need or any proof that we might need. Right. Proof specifically catered to us in our echo chambers, of course. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I have a two and a half year old. And, um, I think about, oh God, so many moments in my life that shaped me and made me were moments where I didn't have the answer and I was fumbling on my own, uh, through a question, Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't safe and it wasn't guaranteed that everything would be okay. But I got to the other side through my own existential wandering. (laughs) And, you know, I think about, you know, what, when we're introducing AI and, you know, having these robot puppies giving us the answer all the time, do we eliminate that part of life? And I think the nuns that I spoke to have not eliminated that from that. That is their life. Right. Wandering and touching something inexplicable is there every day, whether or not I hold the same belief system or not, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like they're living screens of asking questions. Um, they were, incredible. Well, and it's it's so interesting in the show that Mother Superior, played by the esteemed character actress Margot Martindale, uh, yes. she's the one who says to Simone, you know, you're not seeing the good that Mrs. Davis can do, which I thought was really an interesting, uh, uh, you know, approach because she is, she has this faith, but she's also okay with you know, using technology to help people, which is what she's using it for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think when we meet Simone in the first episode in the convent, she would tell you, oh, if you were to make a movie or a TV show about my life, this would be the final episode. Cause I'm at the end of my, um, of, of my lesson learning and, I'm at the end of my arc. Everything's fine. I'm a nun. I live with my arms open. I'm a person of faith. I'm connected with these women. Mm -hmm. Nothing to see here in terms of uh, lessons to be learned. And I think in interacting with the outside world on this quest and with Mrs. Davis, she sort of realizes she's been compartmentalizing being a nun um, and still has a real... um, anger and aversion to certain corners of the world and parts of her life and people in her life and elements of society where, you know, to be a real nun, the women that I spoke to, you know, they are dealing with just as much of the ugly of the world as they are the beauty of the world. Um, And it's not self-serving. You know, I think about all the, uh, you know, actress panels that I've been on about being a badass woman Mm -hmm. for, you know, holding a rubber gun and wearing (laughs) a tight costume and saying the F word on camera. And these women that I talked to were actual badasses, you know, doing work at the border and, um, you know, working with, uh, parts of society that we like to push out of our brains to, because it's too depressing to think Mm -hmm. about. Um, and you know, I think that Simone had, when we meet her has a lot of anger in her towards a lot of the parts of the world that a good nun would be trying to open her arms to. Right. Um, Right. And, uh, you know, if the purpose of, faith is to connect with the world today. Um, I think Martha Superior is just trying to see it as 
a tool to do that. Right. Um, which the internet can be if we chose to use it that way. I was going to ask you, where do you yeah. fall in that, that question with, with AI and the internet, you know, tool for good or one way ticket to Skynet and the Terminator, like, or somewhere in between, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, um, I, I don't, I, in terms of where it's going to take society, I don't know. I worry, you know, for myself, I think that, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm not on public social media is I think I know that I'm not, um, personally evolved enough to avoid the temptation of when I'm feeling, uh, depressed or, uh, invisible or, uh, um, irrelevant. I, I, I could just grab my phone and, you know, scroll a comment section or try to find some sort of, um, you know, junk food validation mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. my own narcissism. <laughs> and I think that that is how we so often use it. You know, we have the ability to go on YouTube and, or, or, or whatever engine and get smarter. And so, so often I leave my phone dumber than when I picked it up. Um, <laughs> You're and not that's alone. our decision. <laughs> that's up to us of how we use these things. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like I'm not afraid of the technology. I'm afraid of the way we use it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if it can, if we can find a way for it to solve global warming and make us all kinder, kinder to each other, great. But we'll probably use it to erase our wrinkles and, you know, make us seem, uh, make our lives seem more like a music video than they are. And, you know, yeah. disconnect us from the people we love. <laughs> So yes. uh, I want to go back for a second to Simone's relationship with Jay, which is, you know, as you said, it's at least uh, in initially it's tangible, it's phys physical, it's sexual. And, you know, it's a potentially controversial choice in an era where people are super cool about, you know, <laughs> religious stuff. Um, right. was, was there any uh, concern on your, like when you first read that and saw that that was how it's going to be portrayed, was that something, what was your reaction to it? And did Peacock have any qualms about it? I don't think Peacock had qualms. A, a great sentence. Um, <laughs> uh, they really let us be as, as, as wild and free as, as Damon and Tara wanted to be, which was pretty wild and free. Um, yeah. When I first uh, read well, first of all, they didn't tell me who he was. They just gave me the two first two scripts. Um, and I, you know, within, as I said, within a couple pages of the pilot was so in and was reading the scenes out loud to myself and read my first scene with Jay out loud, uh, uh, you know, bopping up and down in my chair. And there's um, a, a line in my first scene with him before I, Betty, knew who he was, uh, where I say, Jesus, you're so intense. And I remember being like, you know, Jesus, you're so intense. However, I read it. And then in episode two, reading it, being like, oh, my God, he's Jesus. Wait, how the hell am I ever going to say that line in the pilot without right. giving away to the audience? So uh, I, we did it a million times. And like, I tried to bury it in whatever way I could like Jesus you're so intense Jesus you're so intense but I was like every time it, I'm just giving away that he's Jesus and in the premiere uh, I, I kept like looking around at that line being like did anyone guess that it, did I give it away um, but I remember talking to Damon and Tara oh maybe uh, when they you know when they have sex or kiss uh, is it and she's in love with him you know is it like she's in love with air or um a, a poem or the ocean uh and they were like no she fell in love with a guy named jay he happens to be jesus christ like it's a, it's a a very real relationship and um the nuns that I talked to, that's how they described their relationship with him. A very real relationship, um, not a relationship with a concept. And, uh, you know, I think that um, I, Betty, you know, had a knee jerk reaction of, oh, I want to do, I want, 
uh, I want there to be commentary on religion or I want, um, you know, us to, to bring down the man when, you know, that's not the character. The character is, um, somebody who has a very, very pure love. And, um, you know, I don't like in performance when you can feel the actor trying to slip a subliminal note to the audience of like, well, I don't agree, or I feel differently than my character does, or kind of winking at Video Village, um, trying to put in one's own thesis statement. And I realize I have to drop all that. I have to, this is a, this is a, what if this relationship was the purest, deepest, safest love possible um, that opened this woman's heart and arms when she thought they were closed forever. Right. Uh, yeah. And that felt like a bigger challenge than if I, I, you know, were to do uh, my think piece on, you know, <laughs> the, the institution of religion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Mrs. Davis is uh, classified as a drama, but it's also really, really funny. And I'm just wondering yeah. how the humor, how did that help you develop your approach to playing Simone? I mean, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I think I get a lot of questions about how many genres it is and what a blend it is. Was that difficult? I find it more difficult when I have to stick to one genre, you know, Mm -hmm. life is a hundred genres in one day, you know, (laughs) people, people fart at funerals and, you know, have heart attacks at circuses. You know, it's a, it's, we're always um, being punched in the face with a new genre in a situation we didn't expect. Um, And, you know, comedy to me and, and finding Lucille Ball moments in Greek circumstances are the funnest thing ever. Um, and, uh, you know, being surrounded by performers who were also so game, it just, it was clear from day one that every single department from, uh, you know, actors to props to writers to, you know, the sound guy, everybody was so putting in um, everything they had. And it was also, uh, I was so surprised at how much was practical, like how much was yeah. on set, like the, um, in the first scene uh, where you meet my character, when I, um, you know, I'm busting the magicians who are pretending to be cops <laughs> and uh, extorting money. Um that I open the car door and I have the line, is this your cow? Like the fake cow that they put in the road. And I thought it was going to be special effects. Like, so I pressed this button and when I pressed the button, a tin cow went, <laughs> and I lost my damn mind. I screamed immediately started crying. So I was like, I'm home. There's a tin cow noted props. Come here right now. Set deck. I need all the department like shook hands. Like, okay, we can do it again. I won't scream. Now I know where the fucking bar is. Like that was amazing. Um, (laughs) That was your epiphany moment on on set. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, uh, one day I will be weeping in Jesus Christ's arms. And the next day I will press a button and a tin cow will appear from nowhere. (laughs) It's like noted and I am lacing it into my performance. <laughs> Thank you. So you and Jake McDormand, who plays Simone's ex-boyfriend Wiley, you have such great like screwball comedy chemistry, uh, you know, bickering all the time. Did you guys have any time to get to know each other before shooting or did that just sort of develop a- as you not, went? We had no time, not at all. Um, uh, which is crazy because I've never had uh, that kind of time in chemistry with somebody. Uh, oh God, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. I've had <laughs> chemistry with so many people. Every actor I've worked with is perfect. Um, <laughs> but Jake, you know, we talk about, we always joke. Uh, we, we were both born in July, 1986 and we're like July, 1986 brains. And then, <laughs> and then when it became clear, when we found out that we shared in the script, when we share, a grail liver, like a grail sipped liver. We each have one half of the liver. We're like grail liver, baby, let's go. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, it was insane that we had never had a chemistry read or anything. Um, you know, doing that first 
hatch scene. Well, I remember we shot the um, motorcycle chase first. That's the first thing we filmed in the pilot. And then uh, we were going to shoot the hatch scene the next day. And we just ran those lines together um, at our chairs on one of the motorcycle days. And we were just running it and sort of looked at each other like, oh, this is going to be really fun. Yeah. Um, and the day we shot the hatch scene, we just, you know, w- you know, we, we had the idea, oh, what if we keep turning off and on the light? And what if we, you know, it just, and then there was a day um, where uh, we just kept saying, it feels like we're six years old playing in the treehouse, imagining, um, imagining games by ourselves, but we're doing it for our jobs as 35 year old people. Uh, and, the scene where we were in the couch, um, busting out of the couch in <laughs> yes. Celeste's office, I, you know, I have to kick it open. And, um, <laughs> and I, a professional actor, uh, made a sound with my mouth, like, <laughs> like as if we don't have a team of sound people to do that for us in post. And they yelled cut. And Jake was like, did you just make a sound with your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> for a sound effect. I was like, shut up, Jake. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> but that was every day. Oh my God. I love that boy so much. He's so talented. Chris Diamantopoulos, who plays JQ, is so hilarious. I need to know how you were able to get through any scene with him without laughing, especially when he's just yelling like none at you. <laughs> I can't. That was, uh, it's another, like, it's just I become such an actor nerd in those moments where it's like watching uh, a singer, like someone start a song. And within the first two notes, you as an audience member know, like, this is going to be amazing. We are taken care of. This is a real, a, a person who has complete control of their instrument. And Chris, his first day was that the deck for none day where he presents all this information that the audience really needs to know. It's really complicated in an Australian accent uh, with pictures. He had to remember which screen was where and also to make comedy choices while keeping it really clear. It it was an impossible task. And within the first three words out of his mouth, I just felt my tell of my nails going into my thigh as hard as possible to not (laughs) laugh because his performance is one of the craziest, most amazing things I've ever seen. Um, And yeah, no, it was, I ruined many takes because I was laughing. Um, And then when we turned around on me, he was like, do you need anything from my end? I was like, it's, it's great when you yell at me, just keep yelling at me. (laughs) I love it so much. You have some (laughs) wonderful uh, physical comedy in this as well. Like I love the moment at Excalibattle when Simone is like rage pantomiming to Wiley, like I'm going to go get the brain. (laughs) And uh, you've, you've talked in the past about how glow may it rest in peace uh, helped you really find that brain body connection when performing. Did that sort of translate to physical comedy as well? Did it help you feel more comfortable with that? Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. Glow was such a crash course in, uh, using, you know, from your skull to your toes, everything is involved in your character. And, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a onesie panted habit is a wrestling (laughs) costume in itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, God, Jake and I would always tease each other about, (laughs) like especially that episode where his we were so far from each other physically um doing scenes together and like he would be doing something on the rock that i couldn't really see and i i would be doing something in the stands and then on lunch breaks we would see each other and i'd be like did you see how big i was going with my hand movements he'd be like did you see what i was doing are we going to acting jail is this too much okay if you were big i was big too okay we're we're going to acting jail together you go i go um like they can edit around it, right? I'm like, well, they can't cut to me because I was doing something bigger than you were doing. Like, <laughs> but we just, yeah, we we didn't. We were very unsure um, how it would all land, you know, because we were really swinging for the fences. <laughs> um, and like everywhere, especially at Excalibur, you would turn and see a background character, you know, with horns and blood and scream. I mean, it was like, well, I guess 
if everyone's going for it, we should go for it too. Yeah. No one's going to acting jail. It's the purge. Yeah. <laughs> you can do whatever oh, yes, you want. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, you know, totally. there are some really emotional, powerful moments um, as well. And my favorite probably is when Simone finally agrees to take the earpiece and listen, hear Mrs. Davis tell her what really happened to her dad. And, you know, there's no dialogue. There's no... But you communicate so much with your face in that 30 seconds. I'd love to know if it said anything in the script other than like Simone listens to Mrs. Davis. And also just how do you approach that knowing you have to communicate so much without saying anything? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I can't remember exactly what it said. I feel like it It did. They always um, just do such uh um uh, it's so it's such they provide such a helpful map every single time for an actor it's such a gift where it's so clear sometimes when you ask a writer a question about what's going on in the actors or the character's brain or the backstory or whatever and you can see the writer making something up on the mo- but they <laughs> Damon and Tara had the, the bibles for every single character in their head backstories that went you know, generations back. Um, and it, it was, it, it felt like such a cheat almost to be able to have that much homework done for you. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it said something about Simone feeling, telling her something that was intense, but gave her peace. Maybe not. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, it it really as as we're seeing Simone realize that her relationship with Jay is not perfect and that her life as a nun has not been uh without uh cheats or she's mm-hmm. sort of compartmentalizing her life mm-hmm. as a nun she's realizing oh there is i see the value in having this thing that Mrs. Davis, you know, whether she wants to admit it or not, that, you know, they're having something just giving you what you want and providing answers without any pain or wandering, um, I think is a real temptation. And I think she deals with that at the end too. Um, but yeah, feeling, um, realizing that, and in that scene, she sort of realizes, oh, this isn't, this maybe isn't a HAL supercomputer with a very specific evil thesis statement. It's maybe just a robot puppy giving whoever is in front of them the version of truth yeah. that they want, which maybe has evil consequences, but maybe the intention is not evil. Right. Um, and it's, I think, uh, makes her realize, oh, am I not, what it, what, you know, am I so sure of my mission now that I know that, I'm less clear on who this, what this thing is. Right. Yeah. There is almost this relief and, you know, it's, it, it tied to me for when Jay takes the bite of the sandwich and there's like a relief, you know, there's just yeah. this real release in a way too. Um, yeah. Against their better judgment. And yet, you know, admitting, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it was a beautiful moment. Um, Thanks. Yeah. So yeah, I love that scene. In You once said, in reference to the types of roles that you uh, were offered earlier in your career, you said, quote, I'm more than the sum of my cheekbones and areolas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things I said in jest as the interview was ending. Was the and then I see the headline. <laughs> I even think I said it in like literally with my eyes crossed in an accent. I was like, I'm more than the sum of my cheeks and areolas. Anyway, good night. And then... The next day, a friend sends it to me. I'm like, no, no, no. That is the thing about press. You say something in a long form, and then you say it with irony and like a shrug. And then it's you see it standing still on its own, like mm. with uh, the backdrop of like the glaciers. No, 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 no. But no, I no. wanted to ask you about that, and you know, Great. You, in terms of like <laughs> pushing past in your career, put how you push past those preconceived notions of what you can do, and like when was the time when you felt like you started to see things change for you in your career, and you know, you were able to get more 
roles than, you know, I believe you talked about playing like wife whose husband does something important, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, as I I did the Colbert show um, while we were filming this and uh, um, I think I said something like that on the show and he was like, oh, well, you're a nun in this. So you're still the wife of someone who does something important. him being Catholic and knowing nuns are brides of Christ, but not knowing, like, like, in my head, I was like, you don't know how right you are. (laughs) Um, So I'm still the wife of someone doing something important, but (laughs) I just get um, more lines than I used to. Um, Yeah, I think, but, you know, I still play those parts, and it's not like I'm taking a stand against playing exposition wife. You know, I gotta pay my bills, and I love acting, so whatever job comes to me that works for um, my schedule, I'm too tired to have a thesis statement. Um, But I think that, you know, for a while, particularly in my 20s, parts, um, getting parts on screen, it really... uh, had a lot to do with how I looked and Mm -hmm. it was, it sort of felt like, Oh, um, what's getting me the part? Is it, um, looking, uh, effable in the wide shot or is it the weird choices that I'm making in the close up? Like, which is the necessary toll and which is the fun thing you didn't expect that Mm -hmm. you could take or leave. Um, because one of those things is going to expire. One of those things is going to get better and weirder. Um, the more lines I get on my face. Um, but the other one, you know, I'm not always going to look great in a bikini and it's funny, you know, being 36 now, which is still young, but feeling, you know, playing more mom parts and more, you know, just, uh, it's kind of makes me, um, examine where I'm at personally in what I value about myself and what I um, think is necessary to get a job. You know, I think it dates me as someone born in 1986. I think people who were born in 1996 have a different relationship with the way they look and what they need to, uh, boxes they need to check in order to be on camera. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that um, it's almost like, reading quotes back or reading things I said uh, 10 years ago, like, Oh, I wish somebody would just recognize me for the character actress buried inside this thing. And, you know, as those things, as I start to age, I'm like, Oh, am, am I part of the problem? You know, the the systems that I'm railing against still exist and will always exist. But, you know, is the work, that's possible to be done within me of being like, Betty, you know, maybe you need to get right with not having to bring the drugs to the party to be allowed in the party. Um, Because uh, yeah. So I think that's the work I'm trying to do. Cause they're always going to be, there definitely will be parts that I'll miss out on as I get older because they want uh, someone to look a certain way. But um, hopefully the business is changing enough that, there will just be other opportunities. Um, And, you know, it's part of the reason I don't have public social media. I don't want, I don't think I'm evolved enough to not uh, take the internet up on the option of making my youth and smoke and mirrors a necessary building block of my business model. Right. Um, uh, so I think that's uh, part of the reason why I opt out. Well, it's definitely good self-care to, op- to opt out. Um, right. Now, this is a real TV nerd question, but in one uh, interview, you mentioned sort of offhandedly that you auditioned for the original Gossip Girl. And I don't know if you were joking or not. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I need to know everything. I need to know everything <laughs> about this. What was the part? What was the audition? You know, just I need to know everything. Uh, please tell me everything. Start from the start from the God. beginning. From the beginning. Oh gosh. Well, this would have to have been two thousand eight or not. Like whenever the original Gotham Girl came out. Um, so I don't remember what part it was, but I it was one of the leads, I think, and it was. Um, I have a picture somewhere of the the hallway, the waiting room hallway, 
Um, and it was just, there were 50 of us, like all just sitting in the tightest dresses possible with ringlets, just like staring into space. Um, but I remember, you know, I was, I think I may have still been in theater school and was wearing like mismatched converse and teal wide leg movement pants and, you know, a wizard, purple wizard sleeve, like my acting class, you know, and hair, you know, unbrushed split ends, no makeup, just being like, I'm here to make art and inhabit the character of gossip girl. Um, and, uh, I got a callback, but for the teacher, like they were like your portrayal of a very disturbed woman makes you seem 45 years old, even though I was 21 or whatever I was. Um, and they're like, we see something there. It's not the lead. Um, you can come back as like the haunted teacher. And I, and, the, and they were like, and they, in the email, they're like, please come back wearing makeup and a different outfit and high heels like like full and bold bullet points i was like okay and then of course did not get the part um god i should find that email i I remember being because also it was like in the bubble of theater school where we would do scenes and the teachers would be like let's get one thing straight you're incredible you're an artist there's nothing wrong you can do all right let's take 10 minutes we'd all be like we are the future of acting and then going on an audition and then being like, you're the ugliest person I've ever seen. You're 45 years old. Please come back, burn all your clothes. And be like, <laughs> what? I thought I was a special buttercup. Uh, well, Sad. I really think you would have killed it as haunted teacher and it's their loss. I mean, yeah, there's elements of haunted teacher in Mrs. Davis. It all led to something just took like 15 years. And finally, I know I've taken up too much of your time, but um, you've got next up, you've got three women, uh, which is based on Lisa Tadeo's bestselling book. And it's going to air on stars. Can you, what can you tell us about that? Oh man. I mean, I've never filmed something and then it comes out three years late. Like when I, who knows? And on a different Um, network. (laughs) Yes, completely insane. Um, uh, yeah, that was an insane experience. I, w- I was so obsessed with that book, um, and it's definitely a character unlike a character unlike any I've played before. You know, I think that uh, Lena, um, the character I play, is so is so. Um, I play so many characters that are like cool and sarcastic and uh kind of know the answer before you do and lena is so profoundly um in the best way uncool and romantic and uh hopeful and just even when she shouldn't has her arms open to the world and um you know i think speaking of genre flipping even though her life uh is you know the the book was based on three Mm -hmm. real women um and uh this character is um, a suburban Indiana housewife who uh, has an affair with her high school boyfriend. And even though her life is beige minivan carpool, um, people being mean to her, she chooses the genre of princess bride of hope and romance and um, watching someone choose a different genre than the life they're living uh, was such a, that was so magic um that whole experience and uh yeah i can't wait for the world to see well it's been a delight speaking with you and congratulations again on mrs davis and uh i look forward to you know all your future endeavors and uh you know congrats again have a great rest of your day thanks Kristen. you too Oh, well, see, okay, first of all, if if no one uh, has ever spoken with Betty or had a chance to meet her, like I said, such a delight. She's so great. Yes. Um, but can we talk about the, the Gossip Girl audition? Because what? I mean... I'm just obsessed with that. Like, I love so audition stories. That, 
I know, me too. And, you know, she she's so, you know, gracious about it in that she's sort of self-deprecating that she showed up there in, you know, she wasn't wearing any makeup and she, you know, everyone else is in like tight black dresses and their per- perfect hair. And she was just all actressy. And, but, you know, she, she was good enough that they gave her a callback for haunted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, she made, she made an impression. That's always important. Yes. Um, yes. I, uh, Okay, I mean, I would love to see the audition footage, but it just makes me like I like asking actors about auditions and like, you know, what they learned from bad ones and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Or like Mm -hmm. the one that they were like, oh, I nailed this. And then like, what? I didn't get it. Like, yeah, um, yeah. they're just I would read like a book of those all day so many good stories and you know it's it's the the actors who have the best sense of humor, you know, are the ones who really can tell you know she's obviously a writer as well and you know the way she tells that story or tells any story is just you know she really brings it to life her her failure to get a lead part in gossip girl well but you know what they didn't need her because she was destined for uh emmy nominations and uh glow may it rest in peace and uh you know the hunt and further further greatness which i'm sure we will see down the road indeed yeah i was going to say the same it it wasn't meant for her and that's totally fine uh well you know um i think it was really meant though that you were to be here with me today Kristen. um i mean i always feel like we're meant to be together (laughs) Uh, well we're gonna make it happen more often um but but that's it for this week thanks for joining me Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Of course. Uh, Well, folks, if you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We'll see you back here, not next week, because we're taking the week off for Memorial Day, but we'll be back the week after that. So have a great and safe Memorial Day weekend. This episode of The Awardist Podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>